0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushtuni Narrated by Shelby Luke
1: Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction. By Russus John Rushdunning. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report Number 10, July 2, 1968 Johnny Hart, in his comic strip, quote, B.C., unquote, had some interesting observations last November 4th on how hate can be successfully abolished from this world. The strip read, quote, You know what I hate? Unquote. Quote, What? Unquote. Quote, Hatred. Unquote. Quote, Me too. Unquote. Quote, Let's wipe out hatred. Unquote. Quote, How do we do that? Unquote. Quote, Outlaw love. Unquote. The reverse is equally true. If you want to abolish love from the world, outlaw hate. If a man truly loves a thing, he does not love its opposite. If a man loves his country, he will hate treason. If he loves God, he will hate evil, heresy, and all anti-Christian activities. If a man loves God's law and order, he will hate and resent all lawlessness. There is always an exclusiveness about love. Love cherishes the thing loved and excludes its antithesis. Every attempt, therefore, to abolish hate by telling men they must love all things is an attempt to abolish love. It is a summons not to love, but to hate. Universal love is an impossibility. A man cannot at one and at the same time love Christ and love every evil and satanic thing. Our Lord said, quote, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, unquote. Matthew 6:24. When we are asked to have this universal love for all things, we are asked to tolerate evil. If a man's attitude towards a criminal and towards a saint be the same, then he is saying there is no difference between the two. By his tolerance of evil, he is discounting righteousness and acting intolerantly towards the claim of God that they who fear him must depart from evil. Proverbs 3, 7. The idea of world brotherhood means a worldwide tolerance of evil, and a discounting of the good. When our Lord asked us to love our enemies and our neighbors, He made clear, as Matthew 19 and Romans 13 reveal, that love is the fulfilling of the second table of the law. Love, in this sense, is the keeper of the law. It means respecting every man's right to life. Thou shalt not kill. Home. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Property. Thou shalt not steal. Reputation. Thou shalt not bear false witness, and these God-given rights must be kept in thought. Thou shalt not covet, as well as word and deed. Quote, Love in this sense is keeping the law, living by law. In the modern sense, when we are asked to love, we are asked to set aside the law. Unquote. When I was in seminary, most students were prone to use a little poem which met us on every turn. I still know the words, and most ministers, even the soundest, often err by using them. Edwin Markham's little poem reads, I drew a circle that shut him out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that shut him in. It is easy to confuse this sentiment with the evangelical, quote, passion for souls, unquote with the desire to redeem men from their sins and to make known to them the saving power of God. The Christian attitude is one of grace towards men, but a realization that apart from Christ there are lost sinners. Markham's attitude was that all men, as they are, irrespective of what they believe and do, must be loved. If you like Markham's idea, then invite murderers, rapists, blasphemers, traitors, and pornographers into your home. The result will be revolution, if practiced on a large scale, the overthrow of godly law and order, and the corruption of Christian families. And revolution was what Markham wanted. He wrote the outstanding revolutionary poem of the 20th century, which many of us were taught in school, quote, the man with the hoe, unquote. For Markham, the worker is plundered, profaned, and disinherited. Markham said the rulers should either do something for the workers or face a worldwide revolution. When whirlwinds of rebellion shake all shores, how will it be with kingdoms and with kings, with those who shaped him to the thing he is, when this dumb terror shall rise to judge the world after the silence of the centuries? In other words, surrender to or appease the workers or face a world revolution in which the worker will be the world judge and, quote, terror, unquote. Where is Markham's love now? Exactly as its logical conclusion, revolution. Total love means a total tolerance of evil and a departure from God. Then what about the verse, quote, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what measure ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured again, unquote. Matthew 7, 1. These words are from the Sermon on the Mount. Christ presented true righteousness as against Pharisaic self-righteousness, God's law as against man's law. We have no right to judge on purely personal terms. Scripture gives us endless laws and precepts to enable us to discern and judge between good and evil. We shall be judged, Jesus said with, quote, what measure ye judge, unquote. If our standard is God's law, then we have the defense and security of God's law, which has already judged, condemned, and freed us in Jesus Christ. If we judge within God's law, we have the protection of God's law. If we judge outside God's law, we have not its protection, but its wrath. The heresy of love is a major menace of our time. Quote, love, unquote is presented as another way of salvation than Jesus Christ. We are told that people are going to be made new creatures and changed if we love them enough. This is a totally humanistic plan of salvation. It makes man the Savior rather than Jesus Christ. It is a departure from the faith. But the heresy of love sounds so noble and good that few see it for what it is, a demand that evil be accepted and loved and a revolution against godly law and order be promoted. The real result of these demands for universal love will be the death of love and the rise of revolution and the isolation of man into the faceless and silent proletariat of socialism. Calcedon Report Number 11, August 1, 1966 The August 1966 Forum Journal has an important article entitled, quote, the wheat shortage is here, unquote, by Carl Hobson. Hobson begins by warning, The world shortage of wheat that I warned about in Forum Journal two and a half years ago is now here, and it will likely last a good many years. For seven years, the world has been using more wheat than it has been raising. The has-reduced world carryover stocks by more than half. A year from now, these stocks will be small and wheat prices will be still higher unless the government uses price controls. The world production of wheat this year will be 6,000 million bushels less than the needed amount for world consumption. This is not a good year for wheat production. Drought is reducing output sharply in the U.S., North Africa, India, China, and Australia. Poor seeding weather last fall held wheat acreage down in Europe. But this is not all. Other reports indicate the serious nature of the feed grain shortage. More feed grains are now being used to feed cattle than has been previously raised in one year. Thus, cattle production is faced with a feed grain shortage and with the drought, a hay and water shortage. Cattle are being sold heavily, oversold, because many ranchers are unable to carry them through the year. The drought in Australia is in its fifth year. The situation in China and Russia is very critical. Food is a major problem. But the nearly worldwide dry year and hot climatic conditions are not the cause. The crisis was coming already and the hot, dry weather has only accentuated it. Hobson claims that, quote, the population explosion is the chief cause, unquote. But this is hardly the case. The population explosion is a myth. Russia has not had a population explosion, for example, but is in serious trouble. The Ukraine was, in the days of the Tsars, quote, the breadbasket of Europe, unquote. Today it is producing poorly and in some years has not fed itself. The real problem is socialism. The correlation between hunger and socialism has been very well traced by E. Parmalee Prentice in Hunger and History. In an earlier work, Farming for Famine, Prentiss in 1936 cited the four causes of famine. First, the prevention of cultivation or the willful destruction of crops. Second, defective agriculture caused by communistic control of land. Third, governmental interference by regulation or taxation. Fourth, currency restrictions, including debasing the coin. All of these add up to one thing socialism, and the root of all socialism and communism is money management, a managed currency replacing the free coinage of gold and silver. Long ago, Montesquieu in The Spirit of Laws, Book 18, Chapter 3, wrote quote, Countries are not cultivated in proportion to their fertility, but to their liberty. Unquote. Today, as Barron's front-page story on quote, "The Third Horseman" unquote, December twentieth, 1965 stated, quote, "Thanks to socialism, famine again stalks the earth like a horse and carriage. Socialism and hunger inevitably go together." Unquote. The picture is a grim one. Regardless of climate and soil, socialism throughout the world has yielded bitter fruit since 1961. When the Soviet Union suffered the first of a series of non-reoccurring crop failures, wheat shipments from west to east have increased from 165 million bushels to 750 million. Mayo's agrarian reformers have brought Red China to the brink of starvation. Much of Eastern Europe, once a granary in its own right, lives off U.S. surpluses, while the fertile farmlands of Algeria, which produce so bountifully for the hard-working colons, have turned barren. Now the blight has spread to India. Starvation has already claimed its first victims. If present trends of population growth and farm output persist, concluded the USDA experts, India by 1970 will require fully one half the U.S. wheat crop to feed its teeming masses. The situation is now far worse than when these words were written last December, and it will get far, far worse before it ends. Repeatedly in history, socialists, as far back as Plato, have talked about birth control. The population explosion is an ancient excuse for socialist failure and a means of establishing total control over life, including birth itself. The persistent consequence of socialism has been depopulation. Depopulation by two central methods. First, there is a depopulation by the socialist terror, by mass liquidations. Second, there is a depopulation by famine. We have seen or seeing, and shall see more of both. Will anything be done to prevent this? The answer is clearly no. Our humanistic education has geared our generation to think in terms of a revolutionary doctrine of love and to think well of all men, so it is impossible to shake the faith of the majority in the goodness of all men and especially of our elite planners, the philosopher kings, who will remake the world. A telling account of our spiritual idiocy and susceptibility to evil was analyzed in the Review of the News, August 3, 1966, pages 17-24. through On July 13, 1966, a criminal entered an apartment inhabited by nine student nurses. Although he later displayed a revolver, he did not have it in his hand when he entered, nor when he tied up the girls one by one. Nine girls, screaming and clawing, could have routed him. The four Filipino nurses favored ganging up on the intruder. They had time for a debate. But the American nurses favored appeasement and won. They argued, quote, "'Maybe if we are quiet and calm,' He will remain quiet and calm. We are more or less have to trust him. Here, in brief, is the religion of love preached from our pulpits and the philosophy of appeasement practiced by our civil governments. As the review of the news commented, apparently, appeasement of criminals has now become a national characteristic of Americans, not only in dealing with the mass killers of international communism but in dealing with criminals within our own society. The country has been so brainwashed, so conditioned to believe that all a criminal needs is a little love and understanding, that it has lost all sight of what the criminal mentality is all about. Our problems are an outgrowth of humanism. Humanism is a philosophy or perspective which is dominant in our day. According to the Dictionary of Philosophy, Humanism is, quote, any view in which interest in human welfare is central. Unquote. This is the basic definition, and humanitarianism is quote, any view in which interest in human values are central. Unquote. The Merriam Webster International Dictionary, second edition, defines quote, humanitarianism unquote, in full as follows First, theology and Christian history the distinctive tenet denying the divinity of Christ, also the system of doctrine based upon this view of Christ. Second, ethics. A. The doctrine that man's obligations are limited to and dependent alone on man and human relations. B. The doctrine of St. Simon that man's nature is perfectible through his own efforts without divine grace. Third, regard for the interest of mankind, benevolence. In all these definitions, one thing is obvious. Man is central. Man's welfare is the highest law and the only real law. Moreover, socialism, not only with St. Simon, is basically and essentially humanism applied to economics. Socialism denies economic laws. It plans to remake the world in terms of man's welfare as seen by the planners. It is a government of men, not of laws, by men, not by law, and society is placed under man, not under God. A generation reared in humanism is bent on sacrificing law to suit the criminal, giving food to subsidize socialism, paying men not to work, appeasing criminals and communists, and on, pouring out its pity on the degenerates. Listen to this. J. Edgar Hoover wrote in This Week magazine, August 25, 1957. Recently, many of you must have joined me in my feeling of sympathy for the Detroit father whose six-year-old daughter was brutally slain by a sex pervert. This bereaved father said, quote, I can't blame the man as much as the society that produced him. It's a society that allows its young people to read and distribute the worst sort of pornography, unquote. Quote, Let's wipe out the schoolyard sex racket, unquote. With all due respect to Mr. Hoover for his great services to all Americans, he is here dead wrong. I have no sympathy for this father. He was as degenerate as that pervert. Instead of righteous indignation against a criminal who, according to God's law, deserved to die, he said, quote, I can't blame the man as much as the society which produced him. Unquote. This is simply environmentalism, economic determinism, Marxism, and humanism. Man is not to blame. His world must be remade to remake man. How can we defeat Marxism when fathers are so degenerate and when the chief agent of anti-communism for the USA expresses sympathy for such a perspective? We are far gone indeed. Will people ever wake up? Yes, when famine and death, economic collapse and anarchy and the triumph of criminal anarchy drain every drop of stupid humanism and pity for evildoers out of their veins, and only when they stand in terms of a world under God's law, for the rule of justice, not sentimentality. Don't expect miracles unless you believe in God. And if you believe in God, don't offend Him by expecting Him to bail out the very people who despise Him and war against His law and order. Quote, Ye that love God hate evil. Unquote. Psalms 97.10 More serious than the wheat shortage is the shortage of true faith. But because the world is under God's law, the coming and growing economic crisis is a judgment upon world socialism and also its destruction. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only Jesus.
2: It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he us by his pain. Calvary's dream where he died Tell the world of his love, tell the world how Jesus Christ has set you free, set you free.